been much richer.
Gospel of Luke is the most thorough and detailed record of the life and teachings of Jesus. Luke did methodical research, eyewitnesses. He wanted to present the whole gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God has come to serve the poor, the sick, the outcasts, the marginalized, children, women, people of all ethnic backgrounds. The author, Luke, was a Christian convert. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile African. He was probably one of the elders at the Church of Antioch, which was the first multi-ethnic Christian church. It was a church that built spiritual family among Jews, Greeks, and Africans. It was the church where the, the rest of the town gave them the label of Christian. They were like, we've never seen this kind of diversity come together in this ancient world. And it's because of these were called you Christian Christ followers. Luke was a doctor. And from his writing style, he, it's clear that he was trained at a very high intellectual level. Greek scholars have noted that he writes in the best Greek authors. Uh, Luke is the only non-Jewish author of the New Testament. Every other author of all the books are Jewish Christians. So within his time and context, he lives right at this intersection. Attention, if you will, is one of the first minority African leaders in what was the dominant Jewish Christian movement at the time. But he's also a highly educated, highly intelligent doctor, writer, researcher. So he he's both privileged and marginalized, rich and poor, insider and outsider. And so he brings a very unique perspective to the work of Jesus on the earth. His gospel is a powerful presentation of the kingdom of God. And I believe that while many influential forces all around us today are trying to push each one of us into one clear box, most of us have complex lives that put us in constant tension all the time. Most of us have multiple factors that shape who we are and how we experience life. We are all in our unique narratives going to be sort of invited into the depths of Jesus' salvation. If we, if we give our hearts to living in this text, we will be fundamentally transformed, church. The Gospel of Luke starts with an angel appearing to Zechariah, a distinguished Jewish priest. We're told that he and his wife were very old, and they had no children, and they were no longer able to conceive children. The angel appears to Zechariah and, and, and tells them that God is going to give them a son who will prepare the way for the coming of Jesus for the people's salvation. So right from the jump in the Gospel of Luke, he is connecting the coming of Jesus to the promises given to Abraham, the founder of our faith, the father of our faith, thousands of years before Jesus. Abraham and Sarah were also old and unable to conceive children. And an angel came and said, God is going to give you a child, and that child is going to have descendants that will be as numerous as the stars of the sky, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through that line. You and I are blessed through the line of Abraham and his miracle child, Isaac. And now, thousands of years after Isaac, an angel appears to an older, distinguished Jewish priest and says, I have not forgotten my promise, Abraham. I'm going to do another great work in giving you, an older couple who can't have children, a son in your old age, and your son will be the one that prepares my son to be the one that blesses all the families of the earth. Woo! The next scene 
in Luke chapter 1, that same angel that appears to Mary. As uh, Dave broke down last week, Mary is probably a teenager, 14 to 15 years old. She's from a very simple, common family. And she says, and the angel tells Mary, I'm going to give you a son in your belly miraculously without a man. No intimacy with a man. And that son is going to be 100% God, 100% human, and will establish the kingdom of God in all of the earth. So right there, when you look at Zechariah, Elizabeth, and, and their miracle child, then you go to Mary, you realize the theme of the book. God sees the look. He sees those who nobody else sees. He sees those who are in suffering. He goes to this distinguished priest and this elderly wife who is in the sorrows of not having children and gives them the miracle of birthing a prophet to Jesus. In their old age. But then God goes to the 15-year-old, common, teenage, uneducated girl and gives a greater miracle, a virgin conception, to bless her as the mother of God. So you see, the greater miracle for Mary shows us from the jump that it is Jesus that carries something greater than anything has ever been seen in the history of the world. Already we realize in chapter 1 that the birth of Jesus is going to be greater than all the prophets, all the kings, and all the priests realize. And that greater miracle is worked out through a person whose society identifies as less, a poor teenage girl. The human tendency is that we always drift up, don't we? We always assume that the way to get more is to go higher, to have more access to power, more access to money, networking, intelligence. Over and over, though, God keeps moving our gaze down. To see Him, we've got to go down. We have to look for Him among those who nobody else sees. The greater is found among the minor. The greater is found among the lesser, the small. The way up is down in the kingdom of God. Our salvation is found in places where the world is not searching. Amen? Amen. Mary is stunned, obviously. God chose her, of all people, right? With her raggedy and unimpressive resume, God chose her. Mary has this destiny moment, this unforgettable moment when an angel of God appears, revealing to her, you're going to be the mother of God's son through a miraculous conception. The text says she hurries to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, because the angel told her, hey, your cousin, by the way, is also carrying a miracle baby, and that baby is a little farther ahead than you, and that baby is going to prepare the way for your baby. So she, Mary, does what faithful people do when God breaks into their lives. Listen to this, church. She changes how she lives. She doesn't go back to her routine. She acts on the Word of God before she even sees the fulfillment of the Word of God. She presses into God more. She gets around other faithful people who are going to help her respond well to God. She doesn't just go, well, that was cool. Back to work. Get back in the kitchen. She takes off. I am going to find somebody who can help me make sense of this. Somebody else. My cousin has also got an angel visitation. We've got to press into God more. As soon as Mary walks into her cousin's house, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, her cousin. Her baby leaps in her womb and she cries out a song of praise. She praises God for the ble his blessing of young Mary. And she praises Mary for her faithfulness to say yes to this unbelievable call from God. Elizabeth gives what is the first of five songs of praise in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. 
the five songs are from five different people, and they're all deep reflections on who God is and what God is doing in, in the world. These songs are people stopping to reflect and process and submit what God is doing in their lives. These songs are people declaring that God is on the move. God has just broken into my life. God has just interrupted the normal routine. And I'm not just going to move on or breeze through this thinking, well, that was cool, you know, back to the grind. When God breaks in, we have to stop. We have to process. we, we got to go deeper. And then we have to change how we live our lives. Young Mary then responds with a song of praise, a rich, poetic praise that is filled with treasure for us that is filled with the core themes of the entire gospel. It's her song that I want us to sink into today. So if you're able, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word? We're starting in verse 46 of chapter 1, the gospel of Luke. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to us to Abraham and his children forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so excited that we are here. That you are so excited to speak through your word. A specific word for each one of us where we're at in our lives. And you are excited to speak a communal word to us as a church family. Come, Lord Jesus, we need to hear you. We are ready to hear you. Let us have a heart like Mary that would respond to your words with change and praise. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a seat. The song of Mary is the second of five songs. The songs serve as a prologue to the whole gospel. It gives us these powerful sound bites to the major themes that Luke is going to be unpacking throughout the gospel. Each song, if you look at them, extends the reach of God's salvation and His goodness. So it starts with God saving Mary. The first piece of the good news of the coming of Jesus is that Jesus sees and saves individuals. Jesus comes not just for big movements. He doesn't just generalize us large categories. He sees each one of us and our unique stories. He comes to reveal to us where we are broken, where we have failed, where we have fallen, and he comes to lift us up into dignity, empowerment, and purpose. He calls those who feel powerless into intimate partnership. This is the first revelation of the coming kingdom. And then it moves from individuals to the Jewish people, to buy the fifth song to all the ethnic people of the earth. It's a beautiful setup to this gospel. Now, as we look closely at Mary's song, we see a chiastic structure. Somebody say chiasm. 
All of those of you who do school will remember that from the book of Jonah. A chiasm, it's a poetry, it's a style of writing, it's a way to communicate truth. It's different than how we write in English and in Spanish. In English, we sort of say the main point first, and then we fill it all out. But in chiastic writing, you, you write around the main point. So at the start of what we write, say point A, then the last point says point D, right? That is the, that's got parallel stuff to show you that what's in between that is the treasure. It's kind of like a great hamburger. You got two buns, and the meat is the main deal. Hamburger, the meat, you know what I'm saying? If you ever order a hamburger and you walk away and realize there's no meat, there's something wrong there. You should probably go back and tell, hey, if you need to give me a hamburger, right? So, as we look closely at Mary's song, we see a chiastic structure. Chiastics, right? So, from verse 47 to 50, Mary is singing about how God has saved her a servant girl. Well, then at the end, if you skip all the way down to verses 54 55, she sings about how God has saved her. Chapter 1, it ends with this really intense picture. For those of us who are on the side of the powerful, the rich, and the well-fed, we do not know at the end of chapter 1 how we are going to be saved. We do not know how we are going to be saved. What we know is God is not on our side. The poor, at the end of chapter 1, know that they are being saved. Thankfully, this is not the last word in the Gospel of Luke for the rich and the well-fed in this book. But I believe that Luke intentionally leaves us in tension that we would no longer be casual about what we see as important. Where we put our best energies, how we manage our money, where we look to grow in Jesus. Luke knows that all of humans, no matter where you start, we always drift to the top, to the side, wanting more power, money, you know, all that stuff. And he's pulling us down. He's saying, don't drift away from God. God has chosen the side. As African missiologist Dave Bosch says, Matthew, Mark, and John tell us how to be disciples of Jesus, but Luke informs us where we are to be disciples. We are to live out Jesus. our relationship with Jesus. We are to live out our relationship among the poor, those that are not those that are not. Those of us who know that at least parts of our identity are lived in this rich, powerful, well-fed side. Luke is going to lead us into greater salvation. Thankfully, the tension, the question, how are we saved, is, is answered. He's going to lead us into greater salvation, greater joy, greater riches as we are pulled down and over to this side to find more of Jesus through those that nobody else sees. Like this song, many of us at times in this journey will feel uncomfortable. But if we hold on and trust Jesus, we are going to be wonderfully changed. It is going to be a powerful journey if we trust that God is the same God that he was to Mary, merciful and full of goodness. Can I get an amen? Now, for those of us who at least partially identify with Mary on the side of the common, the poor, the unseen, or the unimportant in our city, we too are invited into a salvation that only Jesus can offer us. Mary starts out her song praising God for taking notice of her, a lowly servant girl, praising God for giving her a legacy that's going to last way beyond her years, praising God for all the great things that he has done for her, but she doesn't stop with her. 
Mary does not fall into the trap of focusing too much on her pain or her blessings. She does not interpret the blessing of God to her as exclusive to her. She realized that she belongs to a larger community of people who are unseen, hungry, and without power. She realized that God's blessing of her is a sign that he's going to bless all people who are like her. She turns her praise from God blessing her to praising God for exalting all the humble, filling all the hungry, being merciful to all the sinners. She doesn't keep her powerful encounter with God to herself. She moves into a place of focus on others, and the rest of her life will be devoted to bringing this unique salvation from God to others. She doesn't sit in her camp on this side and just go, I'm the one that got blessed. You didn't. You're still a lowly common servant girl. No angel appeared to you. Bring it. That's not her attitude, right? Sometimes we get stuck in situations where we're in so much pain and we just want to get out of that pain. We don't care about anybody else. We are just in survival mode. We want to get out of that pain because obviously pain is a very powerful influence on our lives. I mean, that's valid when we're in this, like, just, just think about me. Get out of this pain. But many of us are making decisions today based on pain from yesterday. And that's a lot of how we're living our life. We're making decisions today based on pain from yesterday. It's not that we're overtly choosing anything evil, but we just want to get out of the pain. And we choose into things that don't allow us to mourn the pain with Jesus, don't allow Jesus to heal our pain, and keep us in a place of bondage to that pain. Uh, another uh, pastor I was listening to was saying that um, in his church, there was a woman, uh, she was 60 years old, and she had been a pillar of the church forever. I mean, servant of all, joyful, all, and there forever, 60 years old. And after the word, you know, like how we worship and minister and pray to each other, he was walking around, and as he walked by her, he's like, I'm just going to pray for her because she is such a pillar. And when he puts his hand on her, he immediately feels like killing himself. This is sort of something that happen, can happen in the spirit where sometimes people feel empathy pains. They kind of feel all of a sudden. And he's like, what the heck? And he was so shocked. And he knew that it wasn't him, right? But he was like, how could this woman, right? What's going on? And so he kind of gently kind of tries to ask her some questions and finds out that about that for about six months, this woman has been battling suicidal ideation. And, um, and he found out that six months, as he probed, six months earlier, her grandson was going through such horrible stuff that it caused her, as this wonderful grandmother, to feel such pain that she said in this place of desperation, I could just die and then I will not feel this pain anymore. She didn't know it, but that statement in a vulnerable, desperate place opened herself up to the enemy. And she became tormented with this thought. And so they together had to kind of break this spirit off of her, these lies in her head. And the next week she came to service and she was just joyful and free, praising God. And the pastor was like, that's, that's who I know, right? Now, this is an extreme example of the point that I'm trying to make. Jesus comes to move us through the pain so that we no longer identify with it. The gospel of Luke is going to be an invitation to those who feel powerless, who feel insecure, 
and unsure to stand in the truth that you are seen by God. You might not be seen by the people that you want to be seen by, but you are seen by the almighty God. And then you will be moved to helping others see God. That will be the obsession of your life. Like Mary, we are blessed to be a blessing to others, not to exalt ourselves. We are blessed to share, not to hoard. We are blessed to bring others whether poor or rich, into the community of the blessed. Luke, at times, is going to be challenging to those of us who feel like we have too many problems, too much trauma, and too many insecurities. But if we hold on to Jesus, if we believe like Mary that he is good and full of power, we will be radically transformed. Can I get an amen? Finally, for all of us, no matter where we identify, We learn from Mary's song and from the first two chapters that Jesus comes to bring joy. Even, no matter what side you're on, the tension for those on this side, it will get filled out and Jesus like, I have come to bring joy to you on this side. This gospel was written around 80 AD. About 80 years after the birth of Jesus, about 50-ish years after Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. And it's about 10 years after the brutal and violent Roman Empire has destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And it's written in a time when the early followers of Jesus, the early Christian church, are being brutally persecuted. They're in utterly chaotic times. And yet Luke proclaims in many different ways that Jesus has come to bring us joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Joy in the midst of chaos and certainty. Chapter 1, verse 14, the angel tells Zechariah, you will have great joy. You will rejoice over John's birth. Verse 25 of chapter 1, Elizabeth is given joy as God takes away her shame. Verse 44 of chapter 1, the six-month baby John in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy. And in verse 48 of chapter 1, Mary's spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Joy, 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 that's the theme of this book. And that theme just continues. As Mary will never forget this moment in her life, I will never forget a moment in a church in Guerrero, Mexico. Ten years ago, we were praying for people on a weeknight. A man, I I would guess in his late 50s, he came to me for prayer. He was a hard-working Mexican man. He was a simple man. He is a man whose hands were calloused and dirty. He walked slowly and with a limp. His knees were inflamed and in great pain because a lot of his work, he had to be on his knees. And the pain was just making it too hard for him to even work. So I started to pray for him, and there was no change on his knees. Well, my seven-year-old son, Jaden, was kind of hovering around. And so I asked Jaden, put your hands on the worst knee for me, Jaden. And I started to put my hands on the other knee, and I started praying with great passion, you know, great just words. I'm, I mean, I'm going after it. And I can hear Jaden simply say, Jesus, heal this man's knee. And he just sits there, his eyes closed. And all of a sudden, the man, he was in such a desperate, humble posture. He just needed this healing. He starts to laugh, and he says, he looks down at me on the side, please don't take this personal, Pastor but the knee that your son is praying for is full of heat. The pain is going away. And then he goes like this. Oh, gloria a Dios. He's just like this. I'm not stupid. I said, Jaden, put your hand on the other knee for me. 
So seven-year-old Jaden puts his hand on the other knee, and I put my hand over his, and this guy's just worshiping God. He's still full of faith, and Jaden, Jesus, heal this man's knee. And all of a sudden, ah, you know, he's going nuts. And, and Jaden just looks at me, Dad, can I go play now? I'm like, yeah, go, man. And he just goes running off, going to play. And I am, you know, he's in the joy of being a child I'm watching him run off in this joy. I'm caught up in the joy of exploding from this man who is now healed of pain. I watched this man leaving the church, walking like he's 25 years old. He's still going back to a difficult work life. He's still living in a very simple home. There's no vacations coming for him in the future, but he's exploding in the joy of Jesus. And later I wrote about my experience just for myself, journaling, seeing the power of God breaking through in this moment. And I realized was Jesus was showing me we don't grind out his blessings. We don't work out his blessings with elaborate religious zeal. A seven-year-old's humble, genuine prayer, it's all that God needs. Our God sees the humble. He sees the children. He sees the simple, ordinary man in his 50s whose body is banged up from decades of hard work. And Jesus brings joy, not burden. Joy, not pain. Joy, not a demand for perfection. Joy, not sadness, but deep, enduring joy. I want to bring up the worship team. This kind of joy we are offered in Jesus, it endures through difficult seasons of life. Right? It is a joy rooted in understanding the true character of God. I like how Sam said it in the worship Sometimes God does what we're not asking him to do, but we realize that God knows how to bring us joy. Mary still lived in a poor God, like a neighborhood that nobody cared about. God didn't change her financial circumstances, but that woman was full of joy because God gave her his son. It is a joy rooted in understanding the true character of God, rooted in his goodness, his compassion, his mercy, and that's unchanging, even when we are in suffering. I wonder how much more joyful we would be if we would not speed through the many God moments that he initiates with us. How often has God made it so clear that he sees us, that he knows what is going on, that he is in charge, that he's got a plan to save us, right? And we, we have these moments where we're like, whoa, God, you're clearly in charge. You're working. You're blessing me. But then we just far too often just say, thanks, and we charge right back into the grind of life. And weeks later, we're struggling in our soul again, letting the pressures of life forget the goodness of God. Like Mary, we need to help each other pause, process, and then praise God for all the specific ways he is doing great things for us. And let me be clear, he doesn't leave us in our pain and suffering. Mary didn't stay forever in that place of poverty. He has a plan to make the hungry have food. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. The joy just keeps getting better and better. But as we wait for the deliverance of our suffering, we can still have the joy of God right now. Like Mary, we got to help each other pause, process, and then praise God for all the specific ways he's doing great things for us. We need to stop and listen to Jesus Stop and have our eyes open to how Jesus is working out salvation all around us in those people and those places that the world does not notice. And we need to sing. We need to sing together. God has called us as a church these last couple of months to sing the praises of God. Music is the language of the soul. 
Mary, she stopped and she sang to Jesus in the spirit of God. It is how we deepen in the joy. We sing to express the joy, to deepen in the joy, to cement the joy, to live in the reality that God is blessing us, that he is with us. When we praise God, we experience more of his spirit and joy is deepened. And so let's, let's stand with me if you're able and let's respond to the word of God and start in a place of singing with joy. Asking the Lord for eyes to see how he sees us. And oh, if you need, if you just want prayers of joy, if like Mary, you just need to go to somebody like she went to her cousin to just get more prayer, to be in fellowship, to kind of do it together, come to the front. Come and sing and praise at the front, and then people will come around and pray for you and pray joy into you. This is a time that we are family. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You see us. Oh, you delight in us. You see us, and you come to bring joy. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us sing from the depths of our soul. Come, Lord Jesus.